0: You know, it's my privilege to allow uh, different individuals, pastors and leaders to come to the North Georgia Revival and to share what God's done in their heart. All the men and women that we have preaching carry a unique, strong uh, revival anointing. And the gentleman tonight, you're, he's no stranger to the North Georgia Revival. You know him. And he has been here multiple times. He's a friend of the house. He is a friend of this house. He is a friend of of Christ Fellowship Church and of the North Georgia Revival. I want you to welcome with me in just a moment Matt Scott who pastors in Moody, Alabama at The Gathering Place, which is a premier revival center church. There's incredible life-changing things that are happening. Folks are getting saved. People's lives are being put back together. Yeah, folks literally, literally are being healed in the waters, at the altars. During praise and worship, there is just a spattering of the supernatural happening at the gathering place, which is a Methodist church of which I celebrate. And I say that because there is a move of God happening among the United Methodist Church. Yeah. I just spoke to a gentleman when, uh, in Kentucky just the other day, he says, I'm a Methodist pastor, but pastor Matt, he was at the, the revival immersion revival there in Lexington. And he was just hungry for God. Um, one of the gentlemen that was supposed to has, the host, the meeting said, I can't do it at my church. Right. You know, pretty much right now I'll get in trouble, but I'm participating. There is a move of God among uh, all denominations, but I feel very strongly I'm gonna go ahead and prophesy. I feel very strongly in the Methodist Church that cut its teeth on the doctrine of John Wesley and Charles Wesley, who operated in the supernatural, who operated in signs and wonders, and believed in the power of the Holy Ghost. We're redigging those wells, and Pastor Matt, thank you for redigging those wells. Is the you have the dirt under your fingernails? You're the one that goes deep and pulls out all the snakes and all that mucky, m- murky water so that others can come behind you. There's always one that has to lead the way. Thank you for being a kingdom pioneer. And I just, I I, I speak endurance over you and your wife Stevie. I speak, I speak provision over you. I speak health over your body. I pray for sharp tools to keep digging and digging and digging because you're going to tap the mother well you're going to hit the mother well yeah you're going to hit it you're going to hit it that vein is very 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 close you're experiencing it but it's going to gush forth not as a spring not as a trickle or a creek you're in a river but it's going to become more than that it's going to become an ocean and you're going to be the one that unplugs the waters in jesus name so would you help me welcome pastor matt scott as he comes to this platform stand to your feet give him an incredible north georgia revival welcome
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. It's good to be in the house tonight. Who's happy to be in church? Say me. Me too. Me too. Me too. It's going to be a fun night. It's just getting started. I feel like we need to pray. Let's pray. Open your hands. If you feel comfortable, just open your hands right there in your lap. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in this house. This is your house, God. This is a house that has been devoted to you. Every room in the house has been given to you. There are no closets that are off limits. No offices that are off limits. No storage units that are off limits. Every part of this house has been devoted unto you. And because of that, God, you have come and you have made yourself comfortable here. We thank you for that. We thank you that this is indeed a house of miracles. We thank you for everything that you have done here and everything that you will do here. We thank you for the miracles. We thank you for the healing. We believe that we will see more tonight in Jesus name. We thank you for the changed lives. We thank you for the deliverance that has taken place. We thank you for the freedom that has been given. We thank you for the prophetic words that have been released and then stepped into. We thank you, God, that this epicenter of revival has not only shifted and changed the community in which it sits, but it has also been used to deploy revivalists to all over the world. And we claim in the name of Jesus that it's only beginning. We have yet to scratch the surface of what you desire to do, Lord. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you come even now and that you begin to move. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, and we pray that you give us a word, both corporate and individual, that will result in your name being glorified. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said a good amen. Amen. Have you ever been a lot of, around a lot of people, maybe at a gathering, a Christmas party, uh, just, just a setting where you have engaged in conversation with several people face to face, only to go to the restroom and look in the mirror and realize that you have a friend? left nostril, right nostril front tooth salad that's still with you and one of the first thoughts that you have is oh dear Jesus how long has that been there and then the second thought is why didn't somebody say something why aren't these people my friends What? And then you go find them. You walk back out and you say to them, why didn't you say something? What are you talking about? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Don't pretend like you didn't see the hitchhiker. Don't pretend like you didn't see the asparagus. Don't pretend like you didn't see. Well, I just didn't want to embarrass you. Oh, well, thanks for letting me talk to another 15 people. Talk about embarrassment. Pastor Todd, we launched the church, the Gathering Place Church, 10 years ago. On my second Sunday, I took the platform. I'd gone to the bathroom right before I got up to speak. And I did not zip. Second Sunday. This may be inappropriate. If so, just cut it out. Black pants. White tucked in shirt. The entire time my wife is sitting in the front row. She has her Bible in her lap. And she keeps going. And I thought she was motioning to the scriptures. I'm about to get there, woman. This is my introduction. Calm down. She was trying to tell me. That this is going to be one of the most embarrassing moments of your ministry career. And it was. Second Sunday. And I told her after the service, why didn't you just say something? Why didn't you just walk up and say, hey, bro, whatever you need to say, but she didn't say anything. Have you ever been through a season of life where you dated someone that everyone in the world knew was wrong for you, but yet no one said anything until you broke up with that individual? There's redemption, my dear. There's redemption. And you go up to your friends and say, why didn't y'all say something? Because we knew you wouldn't listen to us. You were in love. True love speaks up even when it's uncomfortable or difficult. True love speaks. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about Judgment Day. It is, in my opinion, the most horrific passage of Scripture in the Bible. He describes this day where the multitudes have gathered. And he speaks about a large group of people. He begins by saying there will be many. Everybody say many. There will be many on that day who say, Lord, Lord, did we not? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? And he will say, depart from me because I never knew you. Prophesy, cast out devils, perform miracles. That's more than just coming to church. That's more than just saying a prayer when you're at youth camp. Those are big things. Yet they did not equate. To a knowing of God. They're not going to enter into eternity. This scares me to death. Not for my own salvation. I'm pretty secure in it. And I'm not calling you to question yours. Unless it should be questioned. And then I am. I wouldn't be a good pastor. If I didn't. But here's what I'm terrified of. I'm terrified that as I'm standing there on that day, that I'm going to look into that group of people and see some people I know. And I'm scared that they're going to look at me with disappointment and say, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you say anything? I'm scared to death that there might be family members or co-workers or people I even went to church with or, God forbid, people I pastored that look over at me and say, if you knew, why didn't you say anything? Why did you make it easy for me? Why did you fear hurting my feelings? Did you not love me enough to tell me the truth about Jesus? title of today's message is why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you say anything? There's so many people outside of this room that should be in this room. I said, there's so many people outside of this room that should be in this room. People that are literally clueless to who Jesus is. And they don't live far from here. Some of them we're related to. Some of them we work with. Some of them might even live in our house. And they should be here. They should be here in the presence of God. They should be here worshiping Jesus. They should be here sharing their testimony. They should be here. Or at least in houses like this. Now I'm not saying that coming to church equates to Christianity. But what I am saying is that there are many, many people. statistics, and I know I don't like giving statistics because you can make any statistic be what you want it to be. But Barna says that 66% of your community will never come to church, regardless of what community that is. 66%. If Jesus were here tonight leading revival, there's still 66% of the people that wouldn't come. So that leads me to believe that the greatest evangelism method is not inviting people to church. Church is great. You should invite your friends. The ones that come will be blessed. But 66% of them will never come here, no matter who speaks, no matter how good it gets in the baptistry. They're not coming. So that leaves us with one option. We must go to them. We must go to them. I said we must go to them. We must. We cannot simply open the doors and say, that was my evangelism invitation. Because no matter how friendly we are, no matter how good at marketing we might get, no matter how many videos we post, no matter how many testimonies we share on Facebook, 66% are not coming. And if they did come, we wouldn't have enough buildings to put them in. So it still puts us in a building issue. The only option is that those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good must go and tell the world that the Lord is good. He's good. So outside of these walls, there are people in bondage that can't get out. There are people stuck in addiction that can't get free. There are people being used and abused that do not want to be used and abused. There are people who are lost and confused that cannot find answers. There are children living in homes Who are in hopeless situations. That would really like to be out of hopeless situations. And the number one reason that they're in these conditions is not because the devil is good at what he does. It's because Christians are not so good at doing what we're supposed to do. The devil is not greater than our God. His message is not better than the gospel. The only reason that people are lost and in bondage and in horrible situations trapped in chains is because we have yet to learn the art of evangelism. We haven't quite figured it out. Well, it's not my place. I don't want to intrude. I don't think they'll receive it. They wouldn't listen to me. I've tried before. All of those are going to be pitiful excuses when standing before the Lord of glory and painful reminders when we watch people depart from in front of us to go into a place of eternal torment. Heaven is real. So is hell. And as long as heaven and hell are realities, we cannot be apathetic toward evangelism. Everything that happens in this place, every miracle, every deliverance, every healing was meant to confirm the message. Hebrew says that they went declaring the message and God affirmed the message through miracle signs and wonders. The message is primary. In Matthew chapter 9, Luke chapter 10, he sent them to go proclaim the good news and he said, oh, by the way, as you go, heal the sick, cast out devils. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. It's often that we make those things primary. The healing, the deliverance, the miracles, that's what we get excited about. That's what we want to see. And those are great things, but they are secondary to the message. If people aren't getting saved because of those things, those things are in vain. Mortal bodies are going to die. No, no matter how many times one gets healed. This mortal body will pass. It will transition. I will transition into glory. But souls are forever. And I believe that Pastor Todd said tonight before we stepped out here, he said, if you could only do this one more time, what would you do? How would you worship? How would you sing? And how would you preach? This would be the message that I give if I only had one more time. This is it. This is the message. This is my heart. This is why I'm in ministry. This is why I left vocational business. This is why I do what I do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that's where I want you to turn. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to open our minds tonight to a strategy of evangelism that I believe with all of my heart will work if embraced. This is so simple that four year olds, five year olds can do it, but yet it's so powerful that 60 year olds get addicted to it. I asked the Lord a question tonight. I said, Where is your heart? What do you want to see? I asked him specifically, how can we see increase? I want to see increase. Does anybody want to see increase? I want to see increase in the baptistries. I want to see increase on the prayer lines. I want to see increase as we preach. How can we see impre- increase? And this is what he said He said, when you make what is primary to me, primary to you you will begin to see confirming signs all around you. When you make what is primary to God, primary to you, you will see confirming signs all around you. He will confirm that you're on the right track with increase, with miracles, signs, wonders. He will confirm it. What is primary to him? I'll tell you what's primary to him. People being saved. He wants his kids home. And if you had a child right now that was lost, your primary concern would be that child coming home. Work wouldn't matter. Television wouldn't matter. God knows football wouldn't matter. None of those things would matter until baby girl came home. That is what his primary concern. To God, I'm going to read out of first Corinthians chapter nine. I'm going to read to you out of the message, which is a paraphrase. It is not what I would consider to be a translation. It's a paraphrase. If you're anti paraphrases, read your translation. As I read this paraphrase, I'm choosing this because I like some of the verbiage. I do not believe that this paraphrase takes from the translation. From the original, but I believe that there are some, some added words that help us see a true picture of what the apostle is trying to communicate. So this is First Corinthians chapter nine, and you're going to see five things that he does in here, and we'll break them down really quickly. It won't take long. This is Apostle Paul talking about evangelism. He said even though I am free of the demands and the expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralist, loose living immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized. Whoever, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered into their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I became just about every sort of servant there is in my attempt to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. One of the greatest evangelists of all, all time gives us a strategy. Five things. If you want to write them down, you can. If not, just pay close attention. Number one, we must add value to people. We must add value to people. Paul says, I'm not a servant. Most translations say slave. I'm not a slave, but I voluntarily became like a slave in order to serve people, in order to serve people. So that why, why would you do that? So that I could gain their trust and eventually receive an open door to witness. This is what I figured out about people who don't know Christ. Lost people will not care about what you believe until they believe that you care about them. Lost people will not care about what you believe. They don't care about what you believe until you prove to them that you care about them. The marketplace is filled with people who are all about gaining and advancing and growing, and climbing, climbing the ladder, climbing the stairs to success. Most are not concerned for others at all. They only want to achieve for self. They only want to get for self. It's the culture that we live in. And often, Christians get sucked into the mix of that. The marketplace, work, is all about self. It's all about me getting mine. It's all about me taking care of me. And there are thousands of opportunities around us each day to go low, to serve, to bless, to be humble. Paul said, I didn't have to take on that position. I chose that position because I learned it's from that position that you win more for Jesus. It's from that low place that you win more for Jesus. I worked in the marketplace for 18 years. Worked in hospitals sold medical devices. And God gave me so many opportunities to witness during those years. There there was one situation in particular that was very difficult. There was a person that was very difficult. Does anybody know anybody who's very difficult? Don't look at your neighbor. This person was very difficult, very far from God. And God placed it on my heart to simply serve him. It was a coworker and love him. No one liked him. Not one person enjoyed being around this individual. And I'll never forget the Sunday I was sitting in a message kind of like this where the pastor was really challenging us to be evangelistic. And the pastor said, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to ask God to put a face of a person that you should pursue. And I closed my eyes and that's the first face that I saw. And I said, oh, God, anyone but him. Oh, God, not him. Is there a second option? And I knew that the assignment was for a reason. For two years, I simply served him. Again, we were, we held a similar position, but the Lord just said, start with serving him. Offer to do parts of his job. Offer to do favors for him. And I did, and he was thankful at first, but then he started using me. He started calling me frequently to do his job while he went fishing. To do his job while he took customers to Vegas to get drunk and to go to strip clubs to do his job because he didn't want to. And he knew that I was being nice for some reason. And so he took advantage of me. I was like, Lord, this is not going well because I'm going to kill him before he gets saved. This is going to backfire. He said, keep serving. So I kept serving, kept encouraging. Two years later, two years. Two years later, my telephone rings on Christmas morning, one AM. I have three children at the time. Santa is about to come. And he's just had an automobile accident because he was intoxicated. He's upside down in a ditch. He grabbed his phone and I was the first person they called. And he said, I knew that you would answer and I knew that you would help. No one else would help me. So I hung up the phone. So I'll be there in a minute. I hung up the phone and I looked at my wife and who was asleep. I said, hey, I need to go help. She goes, Okay. Just be back by six, <laughs> Ten four. So I got my trot and I went and literally pulled him out of a ditch, bandaged him up and took him to the hospital. Two weeks later, he called and he says, I would like to have lunch. We had lunch and he just began to weep. He said, nobody's ever treated me the way that you treat me. I don't know what you want. I said, I don't know anything. And then I told him, I said, Paul, his name's not Paul. Paul, two years ago, God put you on my heart. And he said, don't witness to him. Don't be overbearing, just serve him. Just serve him and love him and show him my love. And if you'll do that, I'll open up the door. And so for two years, I've been serving you because the Lord told me to serve you. I said, I'll just be honest, Paul. I wanted to kill you. (laughs) There've been many days that I wanted to kill you. But I knew that this was an assignment from God and God loved you so much. He would not let me relent. He would not let me relent. I said, I'll just be totally honest. When you called me Christmas morning and told me that you were in that situation, I rejoiced because I knew that you had finally hit a place where you might listen to me. And then I shared the gospel with him and accepted Jesus Christ in a waffle house. We have to add value to people. Listen to me. They are not our projects. They are not etch marks on our headboard of salvation. These are people that are near and dear to God. He loves them just as much as he loves you. And he wants you to value them. Even when they take advantage of you. Even when they're difficult to be with. He wants you to add value to them. This is what Paul says. The second thing, he says, we must include everyone. We must include everyone. He says, I voluntarily became a servant to any and all. Everybody say all. all. In the Greek, that word means all. Everybody. Look at your name and say, air For God so loved the. Go make disciples of all nations. Look at your neighbor and say, God loves me. Tell them God loves you. Tell them God loves people like us. And now tell them God likes people not like us. Hey, Southern folk, Jesus died for Democrats. He died for Republicans. He voted. He died for people who voted for Biden. He died for people who voted for Trump. He died for people who thought Biden won. He died for people who thought Trump won. He even died for Alabama fans. And I contend that it doesn't get any worse than that. He died for black, he died for white, he died for Hispanic. He died for Asian. He died for Indian. He died for Russian, he died for North Koreans. He died for every single. One of them. People like us, people not like us. He died for them all. All this division has nothing to do with what you think it does. Satan has a plan for the division. Divide the saved from the saved. So that the saved can't be effective in reaching the lost. If a house is divided upon itself, it cannot stand. There's a lot of collapsing houses. Can't even keep unity in its own house. Why in the world would God use us to reach the world? The world literally seems to be Falling apart, it seems. There's opportunities all around us. There's opportunities all around us to witness. Light shines brightest in the darkest of times. If you'll shine, what are you doing with the opportunities? Are you using the opportunities to say things like, well, I told you so. I told you if you voted for him, that this is what would happen. I told all of you people that this is what, we don't even have toilet paper. <laughs> told you so. I told you what would happen. You're a moron. No, you're a moron. Are you using all the opportunities to speak like, to be love, or just further divide? We all have a platform, unfortunately. What are you using your platform for? Are you using it to be a witness? You're all being a witness to something right now. What are you testifying to? What are you witnessing about? If we all went to be to Jesus today, would he say, Congratulations, you were a great witness for the Democratic Party. Congratulations, you were a great witness for Trump. Congratulations, you were a great witness for the vaccine. You're a great witness for not getting the vaccine. You're a great witness for things happening in the world. But unfortunately, you never used your platform or your opportunities to talk about me. Yeah, but I'm right about this. I've done the research. You're not going to change anyone's mind. No one, no one has ever read a Facebook post and then changed their political allegiance. Oh my gosh, she's right. I voted for the wrong guy. No one has read the data on the vaccine and changed their mind. So instead of using these opportunities to speak light and love, we're ranting and getting into arguments. So political Bob approaches us at the water cooler and he begins to rant about unvaccinated people. All these unvaccinated people are causing all of the problems, the sickness in the world is spreading it all the blah And you, who are highly opposed to the vaccine, begin to engage. Actually, Bob, you're the problem. Take your mask off so I can talk to you for a second. Pull that thing down. I saw you at the gym yesterday without it. You hypocrite. Take that mask off. Would Jesus be using that opportunity to prove Bob wrong? No. Well, I'm right. Well, great. You can be right your entire life and not leave one person to Jesus, not one person, not one person. And I may be wrong. I don't think that when you get to heaven, God's going to judge you based on how many conversations you were right in. He's going to judge you based off of how many people you brought with you. Jesus, I was right. 90% of my conversations. Praise God, did you bring anybody with you? Nope, everybody hated me. I am here alone. Good. That's your house, right over there. Next to the dump. Hey, what about this? Wow, Bob, you're right. This virus... Is actually quite frightening. Because you see, with a little bit of research, you just found that Bob's wife, grandmother, and daughter all died of COVID. So Bob's scared. He's scared because he had three family members die of COVID. And in his mind, the solution to his fear is everyone getting vaccinated so other people don't got die like his family members did. Right or wrong, I don't care. Bob's scared. So instead of proving Bob to be an idiot due to his horrible science or whatever you might think, what if you took the opportunity to say, you know what, Bob, you're right. This thing is scary. And I feel compelled to pray right now. Bob, can we pray? Don't let him answer. Just start. (laughs) Spirit of God, I pray that you come right now and be with me and my friend, Bob. Spirit of God, we confess to you we don't know what to do in this situation, that we are fearful. There are some things going around that we just don't have a clue about and people are turning against people. But me and Bob are coming together right now and we're asking that you release the spirit of peace, that you release the spirit of comfort, that you fall upon us, that you help us to be close and supportive of each other. God, I bless Bob. I bless his family. I pray that you protect them. How do you think Bob's going to return to his cubicle? So many opportunities right now to be liked, to be loved, not to be right. This is what Paul did. He was good at it. Number three, he said, we must not compromise truth. And I'm not speaking about political truth or scientific truth. The truth of God. We don't compromise truth. Well, why would you even say that? Well, ev- true evangelism does not lower the standard. There's a lot of churches that have lowered the standard and they have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people filling seats. But nobody's following Jesus, they're coming to church. We can't lower the standard. We can't fail to talk about repentance. We can't fail to talk about sin. We can't fail to talk about the things that Jesus talked about. By doing so, we are robbing people of an encounter with God. So true evangelism doesn't lower the mark so low that anybody can get in. Not anybody can get in. He died for all. But you must die to self in order to receive what he died for. And so Paul says, listen, I didn't just become whatever culture I stepped into. I didn't adopt idol worship. I didn't adopt paganism. I didn't go get drunk with them so that I could share Jesus. I didn't go to sexually immoral movies just so that I could buddy up with them. I didn't blend in with culture just so that I could be a good evangelist. No, I kept my bearing straight in Christ. And it, it was because I was different that they actually asked me questions. So I don't compromise truth. I don't agree with false concepts. I don't just embrace sexual sin and things that they may be. No, 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 no. And we see Jesus is the perfect embodiment of grace and truth. When a woman was caught in the act of adultery, they brought her out into the crowd to be stoned. And he looked at the crowd. She does, she, according to the law, she was to be stoned. And he looked at the crowd and he says, Ye who has no sin, throw the first stone. Boom, boom, boom. Stone by stone, they dropped. Until it was only he and her. Grace. That's grace. And then he said. Daughter, where are your accusers? I have none, Lord. Go and sin no more. Truth. He didn't just let her off the hook. He loved her first. And then told her the truth. And both were equally gracious. Go and sin no more and live a life of freedom. Can't compromise truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's freedom in the truth. But yet we can't use truth to beat the ever-loving Jesus out of people. There has to be a balance. When am I to be grace and when am I to be truth? That's why you have the Holy Spirit. That's why God is in you. And God will tell you, now's the time where you need to keep your mouth shut and just love them. And when the moment to speak truth comes, the Holy Spirit will say, Now tell them, tell them, but you cannot speak truth until you have been loving and added value into someone's life. The fourth thing that Paul said is we must enter their world. We must enter their world. He said, I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. Jesus did not establish a building and then invite people to come. He went to their cities. I'm not anti-building. I have one. I want another one. We need a bigger one. I'm not anti-building. Don't hear me say that. I think that a lot of great things can happen here. But the strategy was not come and see. The strategy was go and give go and give. And this is what the building should be used for. We come to receive and we go to give every Sunday and every Sunday should be growing. Churches should be growing, not because of the awesome things that happen in here. Churches should be growing because the people are going out and witnessing and bringing people back with them. I'm telling you, the evangelism strategy of this era is completely backwards. The evangelism strategy of this era is you bring your lost people to church and pastor will get them saved. No. That's not even what scripture teaches. You're to come here to be equipped. You're to come here to be filled. You're to come here to receive so that you can go reach the lost. Pastors are part of it. We're reaching lost too. But if it's just a come and see model, 66% of the people outside of these walls don't have a chance. They don't have a chance. So Paul said, no, I went into their world. I tried to do a couple of things. I tried to build relationships, but I also, I needed to see things from their perspective. Some of us have been saved so long that we forgot what it's like to be lost. And we keep expecting lost people to behave like safe people. Safe people can't even behave like saved people most of the time. And yet we're expecting the lost to act saved, And then we get offended when they don't. They're lost. They are living for self. Paul said, I had to get into that world in order to see what's going on. I had to remind myself of what it's like to be lost. Not so that I could correct and judge. No, so that I could be a better witness. There's this girl at a grocery store in our neighborhood that I got to know. You know, you you go through these places, you get to know folks. and I was slowly beginning to work my way toward a church invitation. And finally I got there. I said, will not you come to church this week? You know me. She said, Pastor, I can't. But thanks for the invite. I said, all right, no problem. A few months later I asked her again, Won't you come to church? I think you'll love it. Pastor, I can't. But thanks for the invite. One day at the grocery store I saw her out in the parking lot. She was gathering some buggies, and I walked over to her. I said, Hey, listen, I'm a pastor. You know that. And I know I'm not going to ask you again to come to church. But will you just tell me why so that I can be better at what I do? Maybe the church has done. You know, I just I just want to be better. I just want to be better. So just tell me why won't you come? And she began to cry. And she said, because I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor and he raped me over 2000 times. I cried out for God every time he raped me. I wouldn't come to church either, but yet we, it wasn't, there wasn't anywhere on my radar. I did not see that coming. Why? Because I live I live in a sheltered Christian world that has become almost absent-minded to the pain and the torment that people are going through. answering questions that they're not asking we're answering questions like how do you receive jesus we're answering questions like how can i be a better christian how can i get my life together they're not asking those questions they're asking questions like how can i not be addicted to heroin How can I get my marriage back together? How can I be a better mom? How can I be a better dad? How can I make more money? How can I be more successful? Those are the questions that they're asking. But yet we don't have any responses to those questions. Our response goes something like this. Well, you need Jesus and all of that would work itself out. True, but not what they want to hear. Why don't we try helping them with their marriage? Before shoving Jesus down their throat, why don't we try helping them with their marriage? Did you hear what I said? Why don't, why don't we help them get their GED so that they can get a better job? Why don't we have lunch with them and just talk about the basics of parenting? Hey, I'm not an expert, but here's some things I've learned. Why don't we love them where they're at? Figure out where they're at. Get into the weeds with where they're at. And maybe, just maybe, by loving them where they're at, a Jesus opportunity will present itself. Number five, he says, we must make them hungry. We must make them hungry. One of the reasons that people don't come to church is because they're not hungry for church. They're hungry for the lake. They're hungry after working all week long to go and relax somewhere. To spend time with family. It's not like they're going and robbing banks or killing people. Did y'all hear what I said? They just want to relax. They want to spend time with their kids because they work 60 hours. It's not like these people are evil. They've just got better things to do. And most of them, if we're just being honest, have had a church experience at some point. And apparently it wasn't appealing. Apparently to them, the lake is better. This is not a good hobby. This is the worst hobby in the world if it's just simply a hobby. The weather is beautiful. We're in the North Georgia Mountains. It's waterfalls and hiking trails, lakes. If we're just going to pick a hobby, those out there are better than this. And we've led people to believe that this is some type of hobby. If we just do when we feel like it. We have to make them hungry for Jesus. We have to give them a taste of what we have tasted. That's why we should take advantage of opportunities to make them hungry. We're constantly blowing past opportunities to make people hungry. Would you? Everyone's going to be asked tomorrow. Everyone in this room. What did you do this weekend? You know what most Christians say? Oh, nothing. Normal weekend. Nothing out of the ordinary. Seriously? Seriously? You call that out of the ordinary? You call cancer coming out of people's bodies ordinary? You call lame people walking ordinary? People being delivered ordinary? Oh, nothing. Did you go to church? Yeah. It's good. What'd you do? Oh, nothing. Hung out with the family. Okay. Cool. See you a little bit? Yep. you do this weekend? Bro, you won't believe it. Blew my mind. This lady got into the baptistry, confessed that she had been highly involved in the occult, just wanted to receive freedom. Pastor Marty came up to her and before he could even say anything, devils started coming out of her body. She started convulsing violently under the power of God. She was delivered Set free, saved, filled with the spirit. Testifying that she's never experienced anything like that before. What? That was just one. 140 got baptized. What'd y'all do? Oh, nothing. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Yeah, I will. Come here. Sit down. We've never seen anything like that at our church. Well, it ain't about the church. It's about God. Let me tell you what God's doing. Come here. Whoa. Whoa. What you going through right now? Man, I'm just so depressed. I'm so busy. I'm so stressed. My marriage is falling apart. Okay, I'll pray with you when I pray. Come here. What? Come here. I have a solution. Come here. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. Come here. Lay hands on that mug. If they walk away, you chase them down. Come here. Come here. Get over here. And don't it be too weird. Don't put lamb's blood over their cubicle, it's too far. It's too far. Hey, here's some things that I do too. When people say, man, I'm just so stressed right now, man, we've been so stressed. I just just can't live with it. I say, oh, I wish I could give you my peace. I wish I could give you the peace that I have. Whoa, what do you mean? Your peace. Oh yeah, I've got this. I've got this peace. And it's awesome. Just to make it a little bit more weird, my peace is actually a person. I wish I could give him to you. Oh, I wish I could give you my strength. What do you mean strength? I wish I could give you my strength. I've been through things like this before. And I have a strength now. It helps me get through them. Just came out of one last week. I got some strength. I wish I could give you my joy. Because I've been through seasons where it took a minute in order to see breakthrough while I was waiting for the breakthrough, I had, I had just joy, wish I could give you my joy. <laughs> this guy at the gym, he was the owner of the gym. I got to know him that I, that I work out at and he came up to me one said, he goes, man, I just want to improve my business. You know, I just, I know that you're good with business and you used to be in business and you, you, you think like this, you think systems, you think processes, you think environments, you know, I just, I just want to grow. I just want to grow my business. I said, man, I can help you right now. I said, there's four things that you can do today in order to see improvement and growth in business, but I'm only going to give you three. What? Let me, let, me, let me give you the three. I'm not going to give you the fourth. So here's the three. Boom, boom, boom. Writing down. Yes. Whoa, Yes. Wow, I didn't even think about that. Yes. Said, all right, go do those. He starts to walk away, turns right back around. Whoa, what's the fourth? These are really good. I want the fourth too. I said, nah, you wouldn't want that one. I don't think you want that one. I don't think you're ready for that one. No, I want that one. What is it? I said, ah, mm, I don't think you're ready. Because I know you, and I, you know, I hear you talking, and I, uh, I just... It's going to be uncomfortable, and I don't think you're ready. Oh, but it's good. It's really good. And it'll work. But I don't think you're ready. I want to know. And this is what I said, can you not? I'll tell you tomorrow. And I walked out. Come back in the next day, first person that met me. You got to tell me. I didn't sleep last night. Come to daddy. The fourth one, I said, well, here's what I found in business, in life, in parenting, in marriage. One sure way to excel, let Jesus lead. He said, "Oh, just telling you, bro. I've seen, I've done business from a worldly point of view, and from a godly point of view, and I was." four times more successful when I involve the Lord. If you'll allow God into your life, into your marriage, into your business, you will not regret it. You will not regret it. We got to make people hungry. We got to make people hungry. Why don't you stand up? I am going to tell you a vision that I had on January the 17th of this year. We were, um, <clears throat> we were worshiping, On a Sunday morning, normal Sunday, all is um, pretty much par for the course, great worship. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the second song, people begin to hit the ground. Boom, 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 boom. All across the room. Boom, 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 boom. Looking around, it's like people are hitting the ground. And I was, I was loving it. I was like, oh, this is awesome. The Lord's here. And all of a sudden, I hit the ground. Boom. Right in the middle of the second song. All the way through the fourth song. And I knew this was the time that I'm supposed to take the platform. And I'm trying to get up. Trying to leverage off of stuff. Moving chairs, causing a ruckus, losing my phone. And I can't get up. It was as if God, I was was about to get up and God put his hand on my chest. I said, nope, you stay right here. This is nine o'clock service. The nine o'clock bled into, we're always on time. Nine o'clock bled into the 1045 service. People from the nine o'clock have not left. People from the 1045 are coming in. People walking in the door like, what's going on? Boom. There was a pile at the door. And it was while I was on the ground that I, I, I got a vision. And this is what the Lord showed me. I, I was up on a high mountain looking at a sea of people, millions upon millions upon millions of people, millions, just a sea of people. And I felt in the vision, it's funny how you can feel in a vision, but I felt in the vision, the presence of Jesus standing behind me. It's like he was standing right over my shoulder. And I was so scared that I couldn't even turn and look. I just knew it was him. I was like, oh gosh, I will die if I look at him. Have you ever been that scared in the presence of the Lord? Like you felt like you were going to die if you looked at him. And I just was so caught up with fear. All I could do is say, Lord, who are these people? And immediately, he didn't even have to speak. Matthew 7 came to my mind. He says, these are the ones who will cry out, Lord, Lord, did we not? And immediately I began to weep. Immediately I felt the Father's heart for people who thought they had something that they did not. And there are so many people in our Southern culture that think they have something that they do not. And they may even tell you that they have it, but most don't. And I asked the Lord, what must be done? And he said, will you help me? And I said, I will. And he took me by the hand and he led me to a cross that was on the ground. And he pointed at it. And he said, I need you to get on that. I need you to die to self. I need you to die of the fear of man. The fear of man is your major issue, Matt. You need to die to fear of what people think or what they don't think. You need to be aggressive in your church. You need to be aggressive outside of your church. This is a life and death situation. And I need you to die to self. I need you to die to the fear of man. And I need you to embrace the call that I've placed upon you. And he didn't say pastor. He said the call as a believer believer. Will you be a believer who goes and proclaims the good news and snatches them from the grips of the devil? That's the call. This is the hour that we're in. Everything else is wonderful, but it's secondary to the message. The message must be primary. If the message will become primary in your heart and in this revival, You'll see increase. It'll never stop. It'll never stop. Won't you open your hands? Father, we thank you so much for showing us your heart, your heart for your kids. You love every single person in this room, you love them more than we could possibly imagine. But you are deeply in love with those outside of this room, those that don't even know you exist. We have been saved, we have been healed. We have been set free. We have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in order to go be your ambassadors. Freely we have received. Freely we must give. We must give. So I pray, Father, that you release right now a spirit of boldness. Boldness. Who wants boldness? Raise your hand. Lift your hands. Spirit of boldness, come. Spirit of boldness, come and rest upon these people, God. May they not turn from an opportunity to witness. Give them the spirit of boldness. Give them an evangelism anointing. Oh, may their words be ripe and sweet like honey. May they make people hungry for the Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. May we not be so consumed with being right and wrong. Turn our political hearts toward you, O God. Turn our scientific hearts toward you, O God. Turn our idolized minds toward you, O God. May we make it all about you. May it be all about you and everything that you do in these baptistries tonight. May it be ultimately for our good and your glory, yes, but for the Great Commission. These are testimonies that you'll use we thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Maybe go tell people about him. It's in his name that we pray, and everybody
0: said it good. Amen. Amen.